It's Thursday, January 12th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. Afternoon. Happy Thursday. Uh, we have a couple of retail stocks that are going in opposite directions, but we are going to start with Google. Do you remember two years ago when Google pulled out of China after butting, I didn't hear anything about butting heads with the authorities about censorship? Yeah, that was then. Uh, the Wall Street Journal is now reporting that Google is renewing its push to expand into China. Does this have anything to do with the fact that China is the world's biggest internet market? Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it does. <laughs> and they never, they never fully left China. What they did was basically uh, they stopped agreeing to a lot of the Chinese government's requests on censoring content, mm-hmm. and they moved their servers to Hong Kong. Um, in doing so, it basically made the Google experience a lot slower for users in China, and so that's why usage has fallen off and they've lost market share there. I think they're getting back there not just because it's a huge market, but also, I mean, for fairly obvious reasons, right? It's a huge surging market that's still in its formative days. And in a business where network effects are so key and huge, you know, if you sacrifice that, especially to Baidu, which has proven a formidable, you know, if B player, but formidable B player and competitor, um, you know, that's dangerous. And something else to keep in mind here is that when you seed this ground, you know, you give a chance for a strong competitor to rise up mm-hmm. and potentially challenge you in other places. And not just geographically, but, you know, industry-wise, and not just in search, but in operating systems. And so part of the reason they want to get more ingrained here is because they're losing a grip on Android, which is open source over there. And they want to keep a tighter lid on that and not let it get too out of control because the way they make money on Android, right, is they monetize it through search. So they give it away, but they make money when you use Google search. Jason, uh, obviously search is Google's bread and butter, but when you look at the mobile market, and just how important it is. I mean, that's that's got to be a huge piece of this. Yeah, I think that's it exactly. I mean, we've, we've keyed in on, on the fact that this is really revolving around Android for the most part because, you know, Android powers uh, close to 60% of the mobile phone market in China. And so when you look at the potential uh, market there, just you have 500 million Internet users as of now, which is really only about a 33% penetration rate. And when you look at these companies that, that continue to focus on these second, third, and fourth tier cities where they can really get that that use up, mm-hmm. uh, it, it shows you the, the potential that market has. So it's it's not an about phase for Google. I think really when they made that that sort of exit a couple of years ago, you could see where it was not necessarily a unanimous decision. I mean, I think there were some differing opinions on the executive team there. But, uh, you know, I look at another company that we follow here at Stock Advisor, Amazon, for example, and Amazon's making a big push into China as well with their Kindle franchise. And so Kindle, you know, is is, uh, operates off of like a modified uh, Android system as well. And so I think that when you look at not only the mobile market, but the potential tablet market that exists there, uh, they they have no option. They have to get in there and, and try to figure out a way to make this work. Now, I think the question on kind of the higher existential plane that we want to get into, or maybe we don't, but a lot of people will today. <laughs> do we often get into the higher existential plane on this podcast? <laughs> I, I do on this subject. So <laughs> I'm a big free speech advocate, and Google hasn't – now, just because they want to invest more in China doesn't mean that they're backing off their stance on not censoring but that's a totally different issue because that would be the ultimate about face if they said, okay, you know what? 
we'll play ball on sensor, you know, censoring uh, photos, searches, email, etc., so that we can be back on the mainland and you're not going to be, you know, slowing us down. And that to me would be a, a pretty big ethical lapse. It would be hugely That'd disappointing. would be giving up your principles, basically, which is... It would be. And I don't know where Larry Page stands on that. Schmidt was okay with it, the previous CEO, Eric Schmidt, and he's still the chairman. But Sergey Brin, who was, who was born in Russia, actually, is a staunch opponent to censorship. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, not just for real business ramifications, but you know, just kind of on a broader social level. I love that these guys stand up for that. And Joe, you mentioned Baidu earlier. Um, I have to believe that if you're Baidu, you're you're not happy to see this news, that Google's sort of making this uh, significant pushback and doing more hiring, all that sort of thing. Yeah, the longer Google stays away, the more share Baidu has gained. It will keep gaining. It's going to make them stronger. They'll have a bigger balance sheet. They'll hire better engineers. The product will get better. And because the product, like we've talked about, search is a natural monopoly. So Baidu search gets better because more people search on it. And the more people search, the better it gets. And it's just a virtuous cycle. So, you know, I'm sure they'd be thrilled if Google just stayed back in Hong Kong or back over here for several more years. And, you know, if they waited a long time to really get back in the game and search, I'd be really skeptical that Google could break into that. Shares of Sears down this morning, at one point down about 10%. Uh, CIT Group, which makes loans to small and mid-sized businesses, has reportedly decided to stop financing loans to suppliers who are waiting to get paid by Sears. Uh, Sears is downplaying the impact of this. What do you think, Joe? How serious is this for Sears? This sounds pretty bad. It's blood in the water. It is pretty serious. In and of itself, it's not the biggest deal. But what it means is that people who are lending on agreements for Sears related to Sears creditworthiness Mm -hmm. think that they may not be good for it. And CIT Group is a very respected financial institution. Even though they've made a few screw-ups of their own, people know what they're doing there. And when people see that this sophisticated institution is starting to pull in the horns a little bit on any interactions related with Sears, you know, it's definitely cause for concern. And you could start seeing that being kind of a domino effect, like a small-scale run on the bank, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's just another, you know, it's another notch in the belt here of this sort of long, slow fall for, for one of one of America's really, you know, best-known retailers. I mean, we grew up, I think, in the era of Sears and Tough Skins and all that stuff. But, you know, if you look at this company's just, you know, historically revenues over the past, you know, seven years are, are falling. Uh, earnings, earnings, net income sinking like a stone. I mean, the company's got $4 billion in net debt. Uh, it's really tough to see the retail argument here, and I think most investors, you know, they weren't investing in Sears necessarily because of the retail argument as much as they were maybe valuing the real estate that the company owned. And we've, you know, come to find that those real estate valuations aren't all as lofty as they're <laughs> printed out to be. But I think it's it's a tough time for them. We talked on last week's radio show about Kodak uh, filing Chapter Eleven is, and and that's another iconic. American company is see I don't want to get too morbid here, but is oh no that's where it's headed. Is, is twenty twelve the year where Sears uh, goes under? Yeah, I think that ultimately you're going to see some sort of major reorganization. They do have a lot of valuable real estate. The problem is it's all kind of you know class B, class C anchor space at old malls. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a great example right down the street. There's a landmark mall. Yeah. Yep. That's the name of the mall down from Full HQ, and there's a Sears there. 
you know, it's pretty crappy, and the mall is really crappy. Uh, I never <laughs> yeah, go and there. You, you have Fair Oaks down the road. I think it's what a Fair Oaks Mall, Fair Lake yep. Mall, but it's just yeah, the two two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and they just have you know all this illiquid, you know, uninspired real estate on their books, and it's going to be tough to move that. And I think that you know value guys have really choked on this one over the past few years believing in Eddie Lampert who's the I was going to say the yeah. CEO and his hedge fund is the majority owner um, Eddie Lampert's a prodigy and I don't blame people for trusting him but this is a good example where you need to kind of think for yourself and when you have a scenario where you're trying to value a retailer that is clearly the retail operations have clearly been sinking for years clearly like no doubt about it and you're trying to value it based on this illiquid asset on the books in a declining market commercial real estate that no one wants and they've shown no real progress on liquidating any of that real estate what are you doing but aside from all that yeah and i mean you think about it the retail operations sell housing related stuff and i mean housing is in the toilet people aren't buying washers and dryers and tools and equipment like that so it's it's they're, the market that they're selling to is is obviously in a pinch right now too, which just makes it even tougher for them to, to get out of the hole. Uh, before we get to our final story, I got to put in one more plug for the summer internships here at the Motley Fool. Uh, applications are due by January fifteenth. If you are a young person, a, a college age, that sort of thing, or you know someone who might be interested in a summer internship here at the Motley Fool, we are we're looking for interns in investing in our editorial department, marketing, tech. You can just go to jobs.fool.com to apply by January 15th. Shares. Just, just so you know, our interns actually do interesting work here, too. They really, it's yeah. It's not kind of your classic internship where it's fetching megastar Chris Hill a cup of coffee every day. <laughs> Although we, that may be included. Have we, yeah, have we ever a, had an intern not fetch me that. coffee? No, I don't know. No, no, it's, it's far, far more interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With the frequency with which I get coffee, I'll, I'll just get my own. Uh, final story, shares of Dick's Sporting Goods up more than 10% this morning after the company said it would buy back up to $200 million worth of shares. Jason, I know that this is a stock that you watch closely. Do you like this move? Do you like that announcement? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of – I'm not the biggest uh, fan of share buybacks. I mean, I think that my, my opinion on those has changed slowly over, over the course of the last few years. I like it when you know it really is obvious that it's creating value, um, and in this case, you know time time will tell here. It's it's a shareholder friendly company. Just at the end of last year, they they offered up an annual dividend, and they announced in their quarterly or in their earnings call that they're going to start implementing a quarterly dividend. Mm-hmm. So I think when you see dividend policies like that, that's I'm a bigger fan of of that method of returning value to shareholders. Uh, so time will tell here. They have a balance sheet that can certainly support this. I mean, they have about three hundred fifty million in net cash on the balance sheet, and uh, you know, sales over the past ten years have have really done well. They're continuing to expand their West Coast presence with, uh, you know, hopefully it, they're planning on up to another four hundred stores over the next decade. So we're looking at a company here that generates a lot of cash, focused on a very specific market in uh, sporting goods and equipment. It's uh, still. I think about 19% of the company is still held by the Stack family, which is the founding family. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a dual-class share structure, which puts all of the power in the Stack family's hands. So investors are more or less along for the ride here. And when you see news like this, you have to just say, well, all right, 
I'm going to be along for the ride, and that's okay with me. The the announcement, I think, here was part of a three-pronged approach. Though. They announced the share buybacks, uh, while at the same time they uh, narrowed their guidance uh, for the quarter and for the year, and they also narrowed their expectations on same-store sales. And so I think one of the reasons why we're seeing the pop, you share buybacks always make a nice headline, mm-hmm. but I think we're also seeing a pop on the stock today because the announcement essentially offered more certainty. And we know that the market doesn't like uncertainty. When you see uncertainty, things tend to sell off. And, and more certainty, I think, is, is what the market's seeing here today. What is their internet operation like? Because when I hear things like they're aiming to open 400 new stores over the next decade, and we just got done talking about a bricks-and-mortar retailer in Sears that is really struggling, does that concern you at all that they're that seems like a lot of stores. It is. And I tell you, the one reason why I'm not as concerned, they do have an internet presence. They do offer online sales and delivery. However, because it is sporting goods and equipment, you tend to have situations where people need to get in those stores or want to get into those stores to mm-hmm. test the equipment out, try it out, whatnot. You're not going to just, for example, buy a set of golf clubs without <clears throat> excuse me, having, having hit some golf balls with them. And so uh, they have this interesting concept in their stores. It's a store within a store. So you go into a big Dick's sporting goods store and you, you just have like the golf pro shop in there for golf goods and you have the, the running shop in there for, for running stuff and the bait and tackle place in there for fishing and hunting. And so they offer that really a unique consumer experience when you go into the stores, which is one of the one of the ideas uh, behind expanding that presence. So it, it's a less of a concern in this case. And these guys actually outsource their web operations effectively to GSI Commerce, which was recently acquired by eBay. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a different model. They, than, they know a little something about e-commerce. Yes, yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, you know, Dix is not a. They're not like professional web developers, you know. So they're they're not they're not trying to do something that's a little bit out of their wheelhouse. Uh, but by the same token, you know, I don't know that you would ever see Dick's Sporting Goods really become a predominantly online presence. Mm-hmm. I think it's always it's going to have to focus on that bricks and mortar. And you know, you look at something else like the Sports Authority, for example, which is a private company, but that's one of their competitors. About the same number of stores uh, countrywide, but considerably less, uh, com- considerably lower revenues and uh, lower margins as well, which I think is a testament to Dick's uh, to Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, store within store concept, their their ideas behind merchandising and retailing, and what they're doing is successful. Do you have a sporting good tip for our listeners? I do. I'm going to harken back to my days as a PGA Club professional here and uh, offer any of you golfers out there some advice. Uh, it's a little bit of a strategy here, more or less, because you know I see people out there every year trying to buy the newest, latest technology and irons, new golf clubs. And my advice to you is to find a set of irons that you like and stick with them. Uh, make sure to keep up with the driver technology because that changes every year. And uh, you know the old saying of "you drive for show and putt for dough" I think is you know hogwash. To be honest <laughs> with you, you got to get the ball in play or else you're to- you're toast from the start. Uh, so keep up with driver technology and for God's sake, practice your putting. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what about you? A sporting good tip? I'm going to harken back to my days as a college ultimate frisbee player. Okay, nice. <laughs> whammo frisbees are such garbage. <laughs> Discraft is the frisbee of choice. It's Discraft? It, Discraft. It's a much more elegant frisbee. It seems just exactly the same from the outside, but it's a little bit softer, the feel, and the lip isn't quite as long. So you get a little bit less of a sharp flip on the disc, but ultimately it's just a better throwing experience. Okay. Whammo has the brand, though. They definitely have the brand. Forget Whammo. Whammo! I will just say uh, that anyone who does any amount of running, this is something I learned last year, uh, get your feet measured. 
because I went into Pacers, idea. which is a, a local chain in the D.C. area, a great uh, running shoe store, and was looking for some new running shoes, got my feet measured, and it turns out that uh, my feet were actually not the size I thought they were. So, <laughs> so no matter your age, you might, you know, just check. Just check when you, next time you're buying some running shoes. You shrink as you get older, I hear, right? <laughs> Apparently. Uh, Jason Moser, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. We are closed on Monday for the MLK holiday, so we will be back on Tuesday. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.